Welcome to Rethinking Neurodiversity, a podcast looking at the history, triumphs and challenges of divergent thinking. We're your hosts, Fran and I Ling, and together we'll be talking to neurodivergent advocates, experts and those with lived experience to rethink the narrative around neurodiversity. This podcast is brought to you by Noetic Health, the intelligent neurodiversity app for adult ADHD, autism, dyslexia and dyspraxia. In this episode, we speak to Joseph Pack, founder of Drug-Free ADHD. He tells us about the techniques that have helped him manage his ADHD and those that have failed. We dive straight in to talk about our different time management techniques after we had a slight delay in getting started. Both of us, we were just talking about, we're always like one or two minutes late or just very, very much last minute on time i think it's that for me personally the pain of having to wait 10 minutes being 10 minutes early is more painful than missing a train <laughs> yeah i get that i completely like, get that i feel like in a work scenario i feel like i'm pretty much on time for everything but in my other bits of my life i'm very much skin of my teeth making mm. it there I am just skin of my teeth or just outright late to everything. Um, Or it's one of those things where I can be on time if all I do is concentrate on being on time, if that makes sense. And then it takes, but it takes up like so much of my brain power. And so I really, I don't know how to really resolve it because I take meds and that doesn't even help. So like, I don't know what does apart from, the only thing that helps is alarms, setting like alarms for, you know, leave the house now in order to be on time yeah. it's basically just time optimism basically well the other thing is for me well i don't know if it's the same for everybody but if i set a reminder with like lots of exc- exclamation marks next to it meaning very important apparently if i actually don't feel it's important in here somewhere i'll still ignore it yeah <laughs> so it, it's a feeling thing too yeah our minds make this subconscious like calculation on whether something's actually important though although that said this was genuinely really important to me i just have been really disorganized because yeah, you were just like putting me down slowly there. yeah no no anything... punch in the face <laughs> anything podcast related i'm like no no that is really important so this is a genuine mistake because um it's just post bank holiday no, no it's fine yeah it's interesting because with adhd obviously it's common for us all to be late and stuff but because so many business owners generally are so poor at delivering on what they promised a competitive advantage can be just doing what you said you were going to do which often can mean being there when you said you would Mm. and most people overlook that because they're looking at all the shiny stuff like the amazing things that we can do but actually you just do what you say you're going to do you can have a pretty good business. I learned that lesson the very, very hard way by, well, just not doing what I said I would do when I was in my early 20s in particular. Well, it would be good then for you to give us a little intro into the, the life of Joe and how how you've become interested in neurodiversity and drug-free ADHD. Right, so I left school at 16 with no GCSEs at all. Um, as school just was not for me. And yeah, in fact, my mum lied to the local college to get me onto a music course saying that I'd got enough GCSEs, um, hoping they would never check and they didn't check, thankfully. So I entered this college and within a week, I realized I'd been learning the wrong way my entire life because now I was in a room full of people just like me. 
they're like people who had to hold an instrument to to think because like if i'm holding an instrument my mind is more focused on the instrument than it was sitting down in a classroom writing in a book which was never the way that i was going to learn and i I, ha- I still hadn't been diagnosed adhd at this point so none of us had any idea um anyway i left college with that qualification i did really well actually but i wasn't really going to get a great job with a b-tech in music and no gcses so i ended up starting a hand car washing business like near where i lived um which did all right but ultimately me not being the most organized person and also turning up late to things was not great and turned into a failure in the end but around that time as well i started designing logos for cafes in the peak district and then we started getting referrals from cafe to cafe and I brought on a business partner and then we ended up growing that company over five or six years, moving to Manchester and getting clients like Patagonia, Adidas on and on and on. So from this tiny little company that was just designing logos for cafes without really any plan whatsoever, we ended up growing into a fairly decent agency in Manchester with great clients and about seven employees. But the entire time I was running it because I knew I had nothing to fall back on. I was obsessed with work. I became a complete workaholic. And on the 11th of August, 2016, I woke up in hospital after having five seizures in the night. And um, I was actually out cold for three days. And the doctors had no idea what was wrong with me. Because at first, they thought I'd had a drug overdose. Because that was, like all the symptoms I was experiencing were synonymous with drug, drug overdose. But I had no drugs in my system at all after they tested me. And I got um, transferred to another hospital in Cheshire where there was an expert neurologist there called Dr. Stefan Schumacher. And he, within five minutes, he worked out the problem, which was that I had basically been drinking 10 very strong coffees every single day. And when you drink coffee, your brain stops producing the same level of a hormone called adenosine, which is basically helps you stay awake, if you will. So the caffeine was had replaced the the need for the adenosine if you will i so basically my brain had no idea that it was tired because the caffeine was tricking it into believing that it was not tired but in the end my brain and body had to give up and that, and it, it gave up in the way of seizures and like a full burnout experience and then i go and spend i like leave manchester for a while and go and spend some time at my mum's house and i have like a month of just not being able to get off the sofa at all. So you've got the caffeine is like, obviously I'm not drinking caffeine anymore. So I've, I've not got that to fuel me, but also because the caffeine had replaced the need for certain hormones, there were, those hormones weren't being produced either. So I wasn't able to do anything. I was just flat out. And when I came back to work again, a couple of months later, feeling great because I'd sort of recovered all of a sudden I wasn't able to concentrate on anything at all. And the reason why is because I'd been drinking caffeine my entire working life and now I'm not. And then this pesky thing that I didn't know about called ADHD, which was actually there the whole time, um, was now obvious and apparent. So I go and see a therapist and he just says to me straight away, I think you've got ADHD. You need to get tested. So I go and get tested. Of course, I've got ADHD. Then the first thing they say to me is here's some medication. So I had to consider that decision because I'd been ta- I'd been drinking 10 coffees a day, a stimulant, right? Coffee though. And then they're giving me this 
medication stronger than caffeine significantly stronger do i really want to risk the same thing happening again so the psychiatrist is saying yeah it's fine you'll be fine but then i go and see dr stefan schumacher again and he says do not take that medication because if you do there's a very 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 high chance you're going to have seizures again because people that experience seizures are much more likely to experience them again so I actually ignored his advice um, for a couple of days and decided to take the medication. And the experience that I got was interesting because it was like, okay, I can focus on things I'm not good at. However, the things I am good at that have made me build a business, which is quite successful, have gone. So that sort of almost more big picture, almost frantic creativeness that I'd had before I took the medication had just disappeared and was replaced by do loads of admin stuff and don't complain about it, which was of no value, especially when you have employees in a company that can do that sort of stuff for you. So, and and to be honest, I knew I was never going to take the medication long-term. So I stopped after a couple of days, but of course, then all the problems that are associated with ADHD come back because I can't drink the caffeine. I need to find another solution. So one day I was like thinking about how I could reverse engineer what the medication does without having to take the medication. So I started searching through all these different options. One option of course was caffeine. So I couldn't take that. And then I started to look at what nat- what boosts dopamine, of course, like an important factor in managing ADHD. And the first thing that came up was cocaine. So I was like, right, I'm not going to take that. I'm so glad you're slightly judicious about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I put some coke. No, I didn't. And then um, I, I found cold exposure. So apparently getting in a cold shower or taking an ice bath, swimming in the sea can boost dopamine a lot, like to the same levels as cocaine can. 250% boost in dopamine. So I started doing it. And I, I, I just intuitively knew that it worked very, very early on. And I've been doing that for years now. And then over the next few years, I've just been adding more and more things to it. I've probably tried over a hundred things now. Most of the things didn't work. And I'm just left with a small number of things, which I just call my drug-free ADHD toolkit. So when you say cold exposure, what is that? Cold showers every morning? What does that look like for you? Cold showers every morning without fail. Um, One or two ice baths a week. Wow. That that feels very cold to me. um, I've tried the cold. I mean, I don't have ADHD, but I have tried cold showers. It's supposed to be good for regulating yourself, isn't it? Um, But in the winter, I find it very difficult. so. So it's a gradual process. So like 10 seconds after a hot shower for the first week, 20 seconds, the second week, 30 seconds, all the way up to two and a half minutes. Then when you get to two and a half minutes, then take a cold shower without hot at the beginning. Mm. So just gradual, gradual, gradual all the way. And as you do that, your cardiovascular system is becoming more and more comfortable with the cold. And you'll notice that because the first time you do it, you, you'll have a natural reaction of like a, <gasps> like a breath in, like a shock. But as you do it later on, you won't get that anymore. And that's just because your cardiovascular system is effectively working out like a muscle as you are putting cold water on your body. Your body essentially goes into cold water shock when you 
go yeah. into it. And that mm-hmm. cold water shock triggers this reaction that's basically kind of like a pain receptor. It's like, oh no, don't want this. Get out, get out. Yeah. Thinks it's danger. And then the more that you train your body into acclimatizing to it and realizing that it's actually not danger, not only can you mm-hmm. stay in it longer, but you actually enjoy it more. But also the most interesting thing actually about cold water swimming that I've read is this thing called cross adaptation, where when your body acclimatizes to kind of what it previously saw as physical threats or physical danger um, or physical stresses, it then cross adapts to um, non-physical stresses. And so essentially you start being able to better, that's why people say that it's such a great sort of anxiety, depression and stress reductor going into cold showers or cold swimming, because you then start to um, realize that other stresses in your life aren't as stressful. Mm, That is so true. I can, that's happened to me for sure. It's like, if you wake up at 6am or whatever in the morning and it's January and it's minus two outside and the heating hasn't come on yet and you're staring at your shower in the morning and all you want to do is have a hot shower, but you can make yourself have a cold shower. When you do that, not only have you faced a level of adversity first thing in the morning, you also have built a grit that is hard to explain and yet feels like, okay, if I manage to do that in the morning, then there's probably nothing else really that can affect me on an average day Mm. at that level. So, and I've found that the stresses of ADHD get less and less over time, the more and more I take these showers and ice baths. Just things don't affect me in the same way. That's amazing. And Eileen, you're a cold water swimmer, aren't you? But is that something you've done since you found out you had ADHD? Or was that like a hobby beforehand? I wonder if you were drawn to that before you knew. Funnily enough, I got diagnosed late 2020. And then I also discovered I say that I discovered cold swimming the first winter of the pandemic, which was also late 2020. So they kind of both came at the same time, but that wasn't intentional. I just had read loads about the mental benefits of um, cold water swimming. And so I just kind of took myself to a river in Berlin and like threw myself in. Well, kind of. Uh, maybe not advisable. No, no. I definitely stepped in slowly is probably what I was saying. In my head, it felt like I was throwing myself in, but I was actually getting in slowly. But the first time I went, I remember I was literally in the water for about what felt like five seconds. It was so quick. It was like, took my clothes off, went in. I was like, oh, this is so cold. And read that you should just go in for as long, you know, the first few times, just go in for as long as you can. And so I was in for about five seconds. Then I came back out and I remember putting my, it was like minus two or something. And it was, it was snowing. Um, And I remember thinking, why does anyone enjoy this? And then I like put my clothes back on and started walking home. As I was walking home, I just was in such a good mood and I was in an incredible mood for the rest of the day. And then the next day, bearing in mind, I'm not a morning person, as you can tell, woke up the next day at like 6am and all I wanted to do was just get back in that water. I would recommend though, find a body of water that's actually clean because my mistake was that I threw myself into quite a gross river and ended up having... um, a bit of an allergic reaction <laughs> with my skin. So basically just find clean bodies of water if you've got sensitive skin like me. Oh, no. But the main principle is that, yeah, it then 
it really does kind of feel quite euphoric when you first do it and getting into a habit of it is really satisfying because the more that you do it sort of like if you do it a couple of times a week or even more often than that and definitely if you train yourself with cold showers it's like um, most forms of fitness the first time you do it in a long time or ever you're like oh god this is a muscle that i'm not used to working and you think that it's impossible to do but then the more times you do it it really does become more enjoyable the way the weird very very unusual way that i can describe a cold shower because that's probably what most people will do like rather than having an ice bath but is you wake up and you're tired and everything sort of feels dark around you and thing you know you're not focusing on things and you go in the cold shower and then when you come back out again everything's bright everything's in focus you're more energized everything's just different and you weirdly don't feel cold when you get into cold water and then when you, you know when you have a hot shower and you come out when you turn the shower off you're like you suddenly yeah 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 you suddenly get quite cold and that's because of the contrast between like the hot water that's been on you and been warming you and then the cold air around you whereas when you go into cold water because the air then feels relatively warm you weirdly don't feel cold it's mm-hmm. it's quite um it's a bit surreal but also one thing that came to mind i wonder if there's a philosophical parallel between waking up first thing and what you said about kind of conquering adversity first thing even if it's like a micro you know micro adversity and i wonder if that has any parallel with our apparent hunter-gatherer days and how like adhd people used to be the kind of early morning hunters and because we don't really do that anymore i wonder if that's a way to kind of tap back into Mm. that that mindset well, yeah, it's, it makes sense, doesn't it? And on that point, this is a little bit of a tangent perhaps, but so for people with ADHD, if they try, and in my experience of speaking to a lot of people with ADHD now and trying to create my own working structure. So I was just saying to Fran before we started recording, I think I work from 6 a.m. till 1 p.m. But that's when people hear that, sometimes they think, well, I could never do that. It's like, no, it's not the point. The point is, that's what works for me. If you can find what works for you, in particular, if you're self-employed, you can do that. Try to, or at least compromise in some way. I would say that there's another part to that, which is that if you're, you have ADHD and you're trying to work in a normal way, which might be sitting down at a desk, staring at a computer. If you have the ability to not do that, to work in a different kind of way, try to. So like I move around all the time. I'm standing up right now with the stand-up desk even this is not like perfect for me so but it's great to be talking to you like obviously i couldn't do this in many other ways unless we were in the room together but i'll try and use my phone to work as much as possible and go outside so like if i don't need to be on a um zoom call or whatever i'll just take my phone and headphones and then just have a meeting whilst walking around instead and try and use my phone for messaging people instead because say for example i needed to reach out to 10 business owners on LinkedIn for some reason, because we were doing an event. So I wouldn't do that from my laptop. I would take my phone outside and then just do it because it just totally changes my mindset. It's like, okay, I don't want to message 10 business owners on LinkedIn. I don't even want to go on LinkedIn, but I do want to go outside. So I take the phone outside and do that as fast as possible. And it just changes the state of my mind. And I would just urge anyone with ADHD to try and find, it may take a long time. It took me a long time. But try and find those very specific things that work for you. That's such a good point. And sometimes you don't even realize when you're finding these workarounds or when you say that 
when you say kind of even if it takes a long time find these kind of thing these these workarounds sometimes you have already found them but you don't realize that you're doing it yeah. and it's funny that you say that because i also if i have something quite mundane to do that i'm being a bit kind of what's the word procrastinating at my laptop i'm like okay i'm just gonna take myself mm. outside and i'm sure i'll get it done and then a lot of times i do like me and fran sometimes go out for lunch and we'll sit outside and then she goes back in and i'm like okay i'll stay outside for a while and i'm actually like just doing something mundane but i just know that staying outside will probably help me do it than if i go back onto my laptop mm. um there was something else as well oh yeah if i need to do something that i've been putting off for ages and i know it's something that i don't really need to concentrate on like for example when i first moved into my flat my drawers were really messy and i knew i needed to get that done but i just wasn't getting it done and it, every time i opened my drawers it was just a mess and i was like oh gosh I need to find a way to get this done. And then when I was on a phone with a friend, we were just catching up and just having this like really nice conversation. I remember thinking, I wonder if I could get my drawers done now. So I then just sort of hovered near my drawers while I was on the phone with my friend. And literally, I don't even remember doing it, but by the time the phone call had finished, my drawers were pristine. <laughs> so everything was folded, everything was neatly put away. Mm. And I was like, you kind of just need to sometimes combine an engaging activity somehow with a really mundane one and then the mundane one will get done. This is going to sound really unusual, but you have just described the point of meditation. <laughs> Honestly, right. So again, me right. Meditation is like, every time I say that word, to someone with ADHD, they sort of go, <gasps> <gasps> they're scared. <laughs> right? And the reason why there's a reason and it's because most people who, who are who every no most people in the world not just most people with actually have been taught to meditate by focusing on their breath and sometimes by counting right why is that problematic because it makes the voice in your mind louder than it already was and it was already very loud before so that's a big problem so people with adhd should never meditate like that they should meditate by using a mantra instead by just using a word or a phrase or a sound because if you imagine that, well, no, not imagine, but we all have 10,000 thoughts and emotions and feelings going on in our heads all day long. Not just people with ADHD, everybody does. There's all over the place. There's so much going on. So there's no way to focus one pointedly on a thing. So instead of focusing on the breath, which just makes those 10,000 thoughts louder and more aggressive in most cases, by adding a word sound even just something simple like i can handle this repeating that over again so over and over again so like i can handle this i can handle this i can handle this over and over for 10 minutes it takes the awareness so the part of us that's that can hear the voice in our heads and distracts it from the voice and makes it focus on the words that we're saying so instead of hearing oh i really need a new house i need to move here blah 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 blah, or something else narcissistic because actually if you listen closely to what we're saying we're just talking about ourselves all day long and focus over here as we do this and focus more on the words i can handle this the voice over here starts to get quieter and because as our awareness becomes distracted it stops paying attention to what it was before. And there's this yogi in India. His name was Sri Yukteswar. He died in like the early 1900s. And he said something like, an ignored guest quickly leaves. And what he meant by that was, if we, are, if we can train our minds to ignore what is being said, after a while, it will get quiet. And most people with ADHD would find that hard to believe 
but I'm telling you, that is the most important lesson I could ever teach someone with ADHD because it will transform their life. <laughs> and I'm getting like, it sounds like I'm being slightly hyperbolic here, but I believe me, it has changed everything for me. And there's a lot of people that I work with that have had the same experience. And it's all because meditation is being taught. I don't want to say wrong because that style has benefit, but for people with ADHD in a way that just does not work. So what you just said there, you were on the phone. Imagine that as the mantra and you were able to do the draw because the mind wasn't distracting you from doing the draw. <laughs> you have explained meditation in such a different way to what I've traditionally seen it as and what people, I think everyone traditionally sees it as, you're mm. right, people think about like the silence, you just have to calm your thoughts and no. that I've always found meditation super, super difficult. Mm. Is that one of the things then that you've you've come to learn after you were diagnosed yeah. with ADHD helped you? Yeah. Yeah. Ice baths are, are like a preparation. They make us calm, feel good, but release some dopamine, a little bit more motivated. Breathing te techniques, breath work, like they can boost our energy, make us calmer and blah, blah, blah. But they're all sort of, they last for a few hours or a few minutes. Whereas meditation is a long process over time that slowly clears out all the debris in our mind so that our mind becomes less busy and actually becomes less, like I said, narcissistic. We become like, so the first, when I started to meditate properly, and I could hear what was going on in my head without getting involved in the thoughts. So right now, if you're not um, meditating a lot, you have arguments with yourself in your head. Yeah. So, but when you meditate a lot, you stop doing that because instead of getting involved in the, the mind, in the thoughts, in, in what the mind is saying, you just look at it objectively. So you see it talk, but you're not getting involved. It's a very weird thing. But everyone who's experienced that will know what I'm talking about. And then you just let the thoughts pass on. And what you start to notice is every single thought begins with an I, a me, or a mine. It has something to do with us. Well, that's not good, is it? So like, basically, if we're always thinking about I, me, mine, that means that we're not okay. Mm. Because the mind is trying to fix something. I want to get this, I want to get that, I want to get this, I want to get that. But the more that we can remain separate from it, the distance, which is ultimately what meditation is trying to do, it's not trying to create silence in the mind, it's certainly not trying to force silence, which is impossible. It's trying to create a distance from the mind so that we can view it objectively without getting involved in it, without getting caught up in the thought, without getting caught up in the emotion so that we can learn to handle what the mind is saying, because if we can handle what the mind is saying, it will go away on its own. But there's actually a shorter term benefit, which is that if we can handle what the mind is saying, then that becomes a more powerful technique than trying to change what the mind is saying. So psychology will say, nothing wrong with psychology, brilliant, but psychology will say, let's try and change the thought, let's make happy thoughts spirituality as we might call it meditation is trying to say no we don't let's not try and change the thought let's handle it so instead of going i want happy thoughts we go i've got sad thoughts but i don't i don't mind it it's a very different way of looking at it and i found the meditation side of being able to handle what the mind is saying is much more powerful 
Because if you can handle what your mind is saying, you can also handle it when another person is rude to you. Because you can depersonalize. Exactly. You're separate from it. Andy Puddicum, um frames it really nicely. Oh, yeah. By saying um, it's the difference between being caught up in a storm and being at a distance from a storm and just seeing it pass. Mm. And think yeah. about the kind of experience of those two things. They're, they couldn't be more different. And so, but they're still observing the same thing just mm. to, to very different degrees. Yeah. So, well, I've got about, there's about 3,000 people on my email newsletter. So I got a lot of questions from people about this sort of thing. And I've personally worked with dozens of people in the past couple of years on this. And the one, the main thing I hear from people with ADHD over and over again is that once they start to meditate in the way I've just described, the busy mind gets quieter, but then darker thoughts come up. Right. So this is not scientific, but it seems to make a lot of sense to me. It, from my own personal experience, I've had the exact same, which is that the mind is busy because the thoughts are darker underneath. So if the mind is busy, it means that we focus on the busy mind, not on the darker thoughts. But if we can quiet the busy mind and allow the darker thoughts to come up and not get involved in them, like you've just said there, allow the storm to pass, those thoughts go. And they're, a, they're basically a release. And sometimes when the thought is very dark and you're able to let it go, you get a release of energy, which just feels like a euphoric feeling that can last a couple of days. So what you realize is that trapped in your nervous system was the memory of something negative that was bothered, which was affecting your behavior that was constantly trying to go to release itself, but was being blocked by the busy mind at the top. And when you got quiet and you let it go, you're no longer, one, you're no longer affected by that. But secondly, your behavior is no longer affected by it. So it changes who you are. I didn't think we were going to get this deep on it this morning, if I'm honest, but it's, <laughs> especially because you started off talking about cleaning your drawers. Cleaning your drawers is so important. It's, it's really important. It's, it's, it's the physical manifestation of a cluttered mind is messy drawers so yeah tidy space yeah. tidy mind and mm -hmm. so it's not a million miles off from what you were what you were saying yeah like and i know this is a very controversial thing to say in the, the adhd world but i realized for me at least that i was i'm not identified with adhd so when i first got diagnosed i was like adhd is who i am but it's not who i am and through meditation i came to realize that specifically is not who I am. It's part of me. It is a part of me, but I'm separate from it because I'm aware of it. I'm not it. And that can, it, that could be written down in a thousand books and read a thousand times by people who have not experienced what I just said, and they'll never get it. But one day, if you do what I was saying there, you'll, you will get it. You'll go, okay. And why is that important? Because if it's separate from me, I can do something about it. And again, I, I talk about that a lot and people get very upset and I, I understand why I completely get it. It's a personal choice whether you choose to identify as something or identify with something. We've had a mix though of people that 
guests that we've had on the podcast so far, we've had quite a mix of people saying that like I have ADHD and getting that diagnosis has helped me change my life and understand myself better and work with myself better compared to other people like have different perspectives and things. And as long as it's helping, however you identify Mm. with it, or if you, if it does define you, if it doesn't define you, as long as that helps you live your life in the best way that you can live your life, then I think it shouldn't be an issue. Whatever gives you peace, really, but no one person should be able to determine how the next person should identify just because that works for you in the same way that just because cold showers work for you doesn't mean it would necessarily work for the next person. But all we can do is just say what works for us and we can give our recommendations or also say what work, what's worked for other people. Do you have any things that, because I know you said you tried so many different things, so many drug-free ways of dealing with your ADHD. Do you have any things that didn't work? The things that failed the most were trying to put into a practice productivity advice that was common. Like, for example, the first thing I tried was there was this book called Getting Things Done that came out years ago like about Evernote. The tool. And it was saying, like, never store anything in your mind everything should be stored in Evernote. So I was just trying to put everything in Evernote, everything. And all it did was just create this massive barrage of just rubbish (laughs) that had no value to me. And then like, even again, again, like you were saying is like, for me, very personally for me, like trying to build a second brain, that was like a bit of a thing that was, I think still going on now and using tools like um, Rome Research and then just having this massive network of information in his, and it just didn't work for me at all because it, it took too much management. And I noticed that life needed to just happen on its own and me to participate in that rather than trying to force it by structuring everything in a way that a neuro, again, a neurotypical person's brain works very, very differently. And then... I think becoming obsessed. So if I watch uh, a productivity expert on YouTube and go, right, okay, that looks amazing. I'll try and do exactly what they're saying. For example, planning my day exactly in advance, each task perfectly and see if I can do it. After three days, I'm just completely burned out because I know that like, I was talking about taking the medication. It allowed me to do the admin tasks, but I lost what made me unique before, which is actually being more all over the place, like pulling things from out of nowhere and then just making them real quickly and then handing them on to someone else that can manage it. So um, I think the number one piece of advice for other people is don't take as gospel what other people say, especially me. And the thing is, I believe as well that there cannot be an expert in ADHD. I'm not an expert. I don't think it's possible. You can be an expert electrician. You can be an expert plumber. You can be an expert hairdresser, but you cannot be an expert in ADHD because you cannot possibly know what you do not know. Like an electrician knows what they don't know. They know what they know. They know, oh, I've learned how to rewire a house but I don't know how to fit solar panels on the roof, but I will be able to learn that next year. ADHD is so difficult to understand that no one person could be an expert. It has to be, which is why I think people have to take, not have to, 
but if we all do it in our own way you know like i've got one perspective here and all i hope is that people just hear it and then find their own way what rather than copying exactly what i'm doing and i think because everyone experiences adhd in a different way um and you that's also contributes to why different things work for different people just like in everyday life looking at the population as a whole different things work for different people i too would not be able to plan every single minute of my day and follow that i would find that exhausting and give up within within less time than you did so but some people really need that kind of structure and um routine or cadence and so for some people that's what gives them yeah peace you had a question i did thanks for asking <laughs> When you, when Fran asked about what worked, what didn't work with drug-free ADHD, one thing that I don't ever remember reading in your newsletters um, or coming across, but then you mentioned it when we first had a chat um, a couple of months ago, and you mentioned that you live in the countryside. Mm. And that really got me thinking about whether one of the things that didn't work with drug-free ADHD was living in a this is such yeah. a leading question. No, no, no. But no yeah, I, I, does sorry. living in a city or does mm. now longer living in a city make a difference yeah i was having this conversation two or three days ago with someone and after we spoke i I thought i'm intentionally asking people where they live now when i speak to them and 80 percent of people that live in the countryside don't take medication whereas basically every single person that lives in a city does i'm not even going to make a guess about what that means, but just leave that as a piece of data for, to let other people come to terms with because of like, it is the most personal choice ever to decide to take medication. And I'm never going to tell anyone not to like the point of what I do is just to write autobiographically about my own experience and then hope that some people get something from it, but it has to be their choice. If the hunter gatherer thing is true, then it, it makes complete sense that people with ADHD do better in the countryside than they do in um, the city. Because the city, although it being efficient in terms of the number of people that live on this planet, it's not natural. They were made to be efficient. They were made to boost the industrial revolution. And if you think about what the industrial revolution gave us, it gave us factories with people that had to do what they were told for long periods of time during the day but that's not someone with adhd and this problem is although we have very few factories in comparison to what we did have 150 years ago we still work nine till five in offices we still work sitting down at a desk being told what to do we still have managers telling us what to do it's the same it's the same Offices are basically just factories with computers. And this is such a such a sensitive subject because there could be so many people listening who have a job in an office sitting at a computer and don't know and don't know a way or maybe have no way of not doing that. And then it's a tricky line to weave between saying what's useful for a person, but also what's true. Like in an ideal world, they would slowly find something that worked for them, but not everybody can do that. I guess that's one of the blessings of um, being a founder is being able to, to dictate your working hours, what your day looks like, 
and why so many neurodivergent people, as we often talk about, uh, are drawn to being founders, entrepreneurs. Yeah. I'll tell you another thing that setting goals for me did not work at all. And for some people with ADHD, it works really well. And there's a really good reason why it didn't work for me. A goal is a something I set in my mind to achieve that I don't have. Okay. That might mean having to do lots of things I'm not good at to get it. Meaning that the goal is more important than my well-being and happiness on the way to achieving the goal. Remove the goal, focus on only doing what I'm good at and makes me happy. And don't worry about the outcome. Just like become completely to terms with the outcome. If that means having less money or whatever, just be totally okay with that. And then how get enjoyment and fulfillment every day rather than worrying about the future. That is really specific to me. I know a lot of people don't like that, but made me a lot happier as a person. Because the other thing I came to terms with is getting what you want at your goal is completely overrated because nobody in the history of the earth got what they wanted and didn't want something else. Therefore, it didn't work, did it? It's only a segue onto a, another figure goal. Yeah, to another hamster wheel session going and going and going and going. Well, I was just thinking about the point you made just before about how there might be people listening with um, a desk job that they can't really pivot out of immediately. Yeah. I would say that there are people out there whose job it is to help people pivot out of careers that isn't working, that, um, careers that aren't working for them. And so even though if anyone mm. feels stuck in their current job or career and it might not be the most feasible thing to do tomorrow because you might have children or a certain setup that doesn't really lend itself to, you know, just upping and leaving. But there's definitely always ways and people and resources to help people out of paths or, or, or careers or jobs that aren't working for them. Yeah. And I think the problem with, with ADHD, as you may know yourself, is that when you have an idea, you want it immediately and you can't almost cope with the idea that it's not happening now. So when someone says um, to, to me, like in the past, it's like, you know, you know, you should be working remotely or something. You should live in Bali or whatever. There's things that I tried and your mind just goes, I want it now. And then it makes this moment like working in an office worse. But the reality is I want to go to Bali and work remotely. That might take a year and a half, but I need to put the steps in place to get there. Of course, that's a goal. And that's, again, works for people. So if someone is considering that their job is not right for them, they want to do something else, the time frame should probably be 18 months to make that change, not tomorrow. And then I just feel, I can feel like that in my chest, how difficult that is for most people with ADHD. It's baby steps. Yeah, definitely it can be really difficult to wait that long a period of time for something that you so desperately want and something that you really feel like can improve your life as well. That's really frustrating to not be able to have it now. Why can't my life be better right now? And if I just did this one thing, maybe my life would be better. Maybe I would yeah. enjoy it more. Yeah. So that's some, that's some good advice. 18 months just feel like a long time though. for something that you really want. <laughs> Things take time. Like it's, 
be, being an entrepreneur like is like this horrible combination of both intensity and urgency and patience so if you don't have if you have you have to have both have to without if you're urgent and frantic all the time without the patience this is why we give up on things before they even get good and work and if you don't have the if you don't have the urgency then don't even bother <laughs> like it's just and like it's a funny one isn't it because having a job for most people is definitely the best option because founding your own company is very very difficult and comes with so much stress and it's just a completely different way of thinking whereas and it's never finished like i finish at 1 p.m but i'm not i'm i haven't stopped thinking about it i'm thinking about it all day so if you you know and again, so if you're obviously, if you have ADHD and you think a lot, then perhaps that is really the, the right way to go. Definitely think yeah. that going, um, that starting your own thing helps you appreciate working for other people as well and vice versa. I think mm. you can start to realize what it is that you appreciate about each scenario and then work out, okay in the future, be it next week or next year or in five years time, what's the best setup for me and my family? Joe Eilings mentioned your newsletter before, but where can people, where can people find that and the other things you do? Yeah, so just go to drugfreeadhd.org. You'll go to the newsletter there and um, you can subscribe if you want to, but you can actually read past editions without subscribing. And you should be able to find me on LinkedIn as well. So just search for Joseph Pack on LinkedIn. And I post basically every day. Great. Well, um, thanks for joining us. Awesome. And I hope that's been helpful. We've learned a lot and I hope it's been helpful for everyone else who's listening. I've enjoyed it. Thanks so much, Joe. Amazing. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Rethinking Neurodiversity. We're always open to your thoughts and feedback, so please feel free to email hello at noetic.health or get in touch through our social media. Please follow, rate, like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. See you next time.